Sound. Sound. Music. Acoustic. Noise. Sound. I have a favorite sound, I think. Sounds. Ultrasonic. How they listen. Just a little boop. The one place where it sounds the best. You're listening to Sound. Sound matters. <laughs> Hi, my name is Tim Hinman, and you are listening to Sound Matters. Brought to you by B&O Play. This is a podcast that is probably coming to you in glorious MP3 format. And that could be, according to some people, a really big problem. There are people out there who would say that listening to an MP3 is just wrong, somehow. Maybe not so much for podcasts, but definitely when it comes to music. As far as music goes, they would say MP3s are just wrong wrong, wrong. But why? Why on earth would anyone think like that? If you are under 30, then you've most likely heard far more music in MP3 format than anything else. You probably don't think there's a problem, and maybe there isn't. If your music sounds fine to you, then your music is fine, right? But what about those people who think you do have a problem? Those people who are on a mission to make sure that you don't spend your whole life missing out on something amazing. A listening experience that they believe, once tried, may mean that you can never go back to streaming tiny, data-compressed audio files into your ears and brain, but will make you join the movement, the renaissance of something as old-fashioned and geeky as the idea of high-fidelity audio. Hi-Fi. The idea of realistic, authentic, truthful reproduction of recorded music. It's almost as old as the idea of recorded music itself. Start by having a listen to this. This is most likely the oldest surviving recording of a human voice. It was made in 1860 by Edouard Léon Scott de Martinville. It's a woman's voice singing the song Claire de Lune. Or at least that's one opinion. Others think it's probably a man's voice, actually. Most likely Edward Léon Scott de Martinville's own voice. No one is 100% certain. The reason for this doubt is that even if this may be the oldest recording of a human voice, nobody ever heard it until around 2008, including Edward Leon Scott de Martinville himself. Martinville managed to create these recordings on an invention he called the phone autograph, but he had no method for playing them back. That wouldn't happen for another 17 years when Thomas Edison would invent the phonograph, which could play back sound. Pretty much since then, there's been a constant toing and froing between advocates of various systems of sound reproduction vying for supremacy and creating standards and methods for making reproduced recorded music sound better and better. Or, and this is where we are now, there are those people again. The ones that would argue that some of the newer inventions for reproducing particularly music 
actually make everything sound worse and worse. It's time to meet our first guest. How are you? Hi, I'm good, thanks. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Come on in. Most definitely an advocate of the highest fi you could imagine. I'm Colleen Cosmo Murphy, uh, and I'm the founder of Classic Album Sundays, uh, and I'm also a musical host at The Loft and a DJ and producer. Colleen Cosmo Murphy is on a mission to open your ears and your mind to arguably the best hi-fi experience possible on planet Earth these days. I wouldn't say I, I'm I'm not really an audiophile, but I am an audiophile, but I guess I, I'm not the kind of audiophile that will sit and talk about cables all day. So there will be no talk about cables and wires. Sorry, if you like cables. For me, it's about the emotional experience. It always comes down to the music and the emotional experience, and that's what's most important. Colleen has been arranging a unique form of listening event that's becoming increasingly popular. Hi, I'm Colleen from Classic Album Sundays. Welcome. Colleen calls the event uh, Classic Album Sundays. Put your phones to silent. I see some new people here today. And also, during the album replay itself, if you could refrain from any conversation, if you want to make a comment about the The recording... The way it works is this. A group of people gather together. And don't project like an American. uh, They sit together and they listen. They listen to a record a vinyl record, an album, a whole album, played back on a very fancy hi-fi setup. So let's have a listen to John Coltrane, A Love Supreme. A group of people gathered together like a congregation in a church on a Sunday at a temple of (laughs) recorded music. Today's sermon, an album by John Coltrane called A Love Supreme. This is taking the idea of listening to records seriously. Very seriously. I think that's one of the reasons I started Classic Album Sundays, because I realized younger generations weren't even aware of how music could sound. They weren't aware that there was so much sonic information they were missing if they were just listening to 320 MP3s. I mean, 320 being a good MP3. I mentioned Thomas Edison at the start. That's him in the background. He's singing into a long horn, which is causing a needle to scratch a groove in some tin foil, thus recording his voice. This is the invention of the phonograph. Edison went on to refine this invention and sell millions of phonographs, record players. Constantly refining his methods and always striving to get a better and more realistic sound. All that striving for a better and more realistic reproduction of recorded music has continued ever since. The most significant development in the last 30 or 40 years, the arrival of digital music technology, which came to us in the form of CDs and then MP3s, which have become the media of choice for consuming music on planet Earth these days. My next guest is Ryan McGuire. Great. All right. Well, my name is Ryan McGuire. Ryan is a composer and media artist. He's currently working on a PhD at the University of Virginia in music composition and computer technology. He's been looking at the idea of MP3 music from a whole new angle. But before I let him explain that, he's going to help us out with a short 
but informative lesson in the history and science behind the MP3. Pay attention and you may just be able to amaze your friends and family with this information next time you see them. MP3s came about in the late 80s, early 90s, and they originated from the Fraunhofer Corporation in Germany. And the goal was to make a standard for audio for the web that could sound good, but be uh, very small in size so that download speeds would be maximized and that it could fly over networks very quickly and be really portable and f uh, that you could store a lot of these files on, on a device with limited storage space. You know, hard drives were very small back then. <laughs> and so they came up upon this idea of perceptual coding. This idea of perceptual coding led to a remarkable achievement in making sound files much smaller. It depends loosely on the psychoacoustic concept of auditory masking. That's what happens when we hear two sounds of a similar frequency and a similar volume at the same time. We simply filter out the quieter ones and focus on the strongest signal. It means we just don't hear the slightly quieter one, and that signal is masked for us. It's a compression scheme that models human hearing and tries to figure out what sounds in any given recording at any given moment could be erased that that most people wouldn't hear and that they won't notice are missing. This all happens in our clever little heads. Happens all the time when we do our listening, which is, of course, all the time. So MP3 just does the same thing, but it does it before it gets into our little heads. It removes the data involved in reproducing the frequencies we probably would have chopped out in our heads after they got into our ears anyway. When you compress an audio file from a WAV file or from a CD quality format into an MP3, the MP3 algorithm does an analysis of the file based on this model of our hearing system. It just reduces the data down to just the louder sounds. And the end result is that you end up with a file that's about 10% the size. And it's still roughly sounds the same to us. So you shouldn't really, in theory, be able to hear any difference. It sounds roughly the same. So what's the problem? The recording you can hear here is from 1904. It's the tenor Enrico Caruso. Now, by today's standards, by hi-fi standards, it's not an awfully good recording. Apparently this one was recorded in a hotel room, Mr. Caruso singing into a horn directly onto a wax disc. The fact is, however, that this was the best possible reproduction at the time. Enrico here was the world's first recording superstar world's first pop star, you might say. He sold millions of records, and Edison sold millions of phonographs on which to play them. In spite of all the crackles and scratches, it was good enough to reduce grown men and women to tears when they heard it for the first time over a century ago. 
Now, all of us probably have a moment when music moved us for the first time. And the chances are that that music that moved you was recorded music, not live music. Maybe you heard something on the radio, in the car or at home, or it was your older sister's hi-fi. Whatever it was, if you're a true music lover, I'll bet you can remember that tune and that time when it hit you so hard, your knees turned to jelly and the music just felt so good. Colleen Cosmo Murphy is no exception. It's not something I had really tuned into until I was about 23 years old, and I went to David Mancuso's loft party on East 3rd Street. I walked into this space, and visually it was magical. I mean, it was beautiful. The lights, this massive disco ball, kind of strange decor, like a big Buddha. Uh, I believe there's a Christmas tree. Uh, there was his bed. There was a big bed. There was a cat running around as well, his cat, uh, Wolfie. That space that Colleen walked into was a party at a club called The Loft, run by DJ David Mancuso, who created a now legendary and almost unbelievably hip party space in New York from the 1970s and onwards. But it sounded incredible. And there were all of these clipsch horns, uh, which are three-way horn speakers, surrounding, encompassing the dance floor on three sides. I could kind of soak it all in for hours. His party went for on for like 12 hours at that time, weekly. So from midnight to noon. And all of a sudden, David really kind of threw a light onto all of those issues for me. And I became friends with him and we discussed this at length. And, and one thing he said to me, which I always like to quote, he said, good sound is a human right, <laughs> which is wonderful. Good sound is a human right. Good sound. What we'd call good sound, these days anyway, hasn't really been around for all that long. It took many years. Wax cylinders, 78 discs, 33 discs, 45 discs, etc., etc. Development of microphone technology, sound studios, sound engineering, a whole range of skills and years of struggle to get music to sound better. Arguably, it's with the invention of recording tape that made the big jump. Making recordings with that full frequency feeling we know today. But even tape had its troubles. Here you can hear an early recording on tape. It sounded pretty awful. Actually, it sounded worse than the records of the day, and the idea of using it to record music was nearly abandoned until a technical accident, almost, added a few extra circuits to the German tape machines of the day and made sound like this possible. This taped recording was made in 1944. It's a recording of the Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra conducted by Herbert von Karajan. The sound is so good, so the story goes, that during the Second World War, when this was recorded, Allied forces listening in on German radio broadcasts had a hard time figuring out how the Philharmonic Orchestra was playing such great live concerts all over Germany 
at the height of the war in Europe. They couldn't believe they were listening to recordings. After the war, the tape technology ended up in the USA, and it came to revolutionize the recording industry there. A movement started largely when Bing Crosby, the biggest radio star of the day, tired of having to do live radio shows. Blue sky, he found out that there was a technology available that meant he could record his shows on tape and that nobody would be able to hear the difference. Giving Bing a little more time to himself on the golf course. But the whole MP3 debate is based on the fact that some people think you can tell the difference and that what is lost is something very important in the music. Here's Ryan McGuire again. I think of an MP3 as sort of stripping away the texture that you wouldn't see, but when you touch, you know, when you touch a table or something, you can feel the grain of it. And, and maybe you, you lose that when you take a picture of it uh, and I think there's a similar thing with MP3s, and so I think that there's an opportunity to sort of re-ground ourselves and remind ourselves of like the texture of things that is maybe something that we've that we're a little bit uh, neglecting in in this current sort of MP3 ecosystem. If you're still not convinced about what you might be missing out on, here's Colleen. The greatest memory that I have, I should say, is buying a, a record that I heard played at the loft, listening to it on my terrible hi-fi at home, and it's just not only not sounding the same, but not having the same emotive gravitas, that I was not immersed in it, that it actually didn't make sense. And that was quite something. Uh, because sometimes you'd hear something that David would play at the party and it just would not have the same kind of resonance outside of that system. You couldn't hear the little details in it. You couldn't hear what made it so magical. You didn't get that kind of feeling this of, 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 of being completely encompassed and being immersed in the music. That missing something feeling is hard to put into words. But Colleen has seen firsthand what it can do. I can see and feel the energy level dip. Now that's not to say everyone on the floor is going, oh, what a terrible pressing. Oh my gosh, I can't believe she played that. You know, that's not what's going on at all. But they understand something has changed. They understand the energy, as we are saying, the life energy of music, that that has dipped. They are not getting that same kind of experience. They don't know why. They couldn't tell you why. They still might like the record, but there's an overall energy dip, um, which is incredible. It's really incredible to witness. Ryan's work with the differences has led him to create some unique music of his own by focusing all of his attention on exactly that difference. Most of the time we don't hear the difference, and that's, that's the amazing thing. And so the difference is subtle, and I had to turn to a computer, which is kind of ironic, to really get into the details of, of the, the small sounds that are, that are missing from the original files and uh, the MP3s. 
Ever since recorded music appeared and became ordinary, there have been artists and musicians who've used the very methods of playing back recordings to make new kinds of expressions, new kinds of art. Everything from clicks and pops of vinyl records used to make beats, to cutting up tapes and playing them backwards, making loops and finding glitches and gaps in music formats, it's been a common theme in media art since the media arrived. But now, it's Ryan's turn to make art out of the MP3 phenomenon. I got really curious, what's next? You know, what's the technology that we're all listening to now? It's, you know, it's MP3s on our smartphones. And what's a kind of music that could come out of that? His answer? You're hearing it. I was speaking with uh, this media artist and scholar, Tara Rogers, and we're sitting there talking and they're sort of playing music, you know, they're blasting MP3s over the sound system and, you know, we're talking and I'm telling her about my sort of initial experiments with these MP3 pieces that I was trying to make and she sort of misheard me and she said, oh, you're making music out of the sounds that are lost during the mp3 compression process and i kind of i kind of looked at her and i paused for a second and i said no that's not what i'm doing right now but i should be doing that and she said yeah you should be (laughs) and so the project sort of started from there the name of the project is the ghost in the mp3 Music made from all the bits that have been taken away from the original. And only those bits. The thin remains of the algorithm. All the bits the algorithm decided you didn't need to hear. Because you'd never notice them anyway. The, the first question that came to my mind is, well, okay, what's the, what do you put in? You know, what's the music that you're going to use and that you're going to compress and look for the difference? And so I found myself looking to the history of the MP3 format's development and found that there were these this set of songs that were used during the development of the MP3 as test songs. The lead engineer on the project that developed the MP3 was working on his compression algorithm when one day he heard a song on the radio. He's been working on this algorithm for a year or two and thinking it's pretty good stuff that he's got going on. And he hears this song, Tom's Diner, on the radio, you know, by Suzanne Vega, the do 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 And he thinks, oh, this this is really interesting. That would be possibly difficult to encode as an MP3 to have it sound good. That song, he thought. If I can make that song sound okay, then MP3 will be a success. It's just a solo voice, and it's very minimal, and it's sort of clear and transparent. You just have this this human voice singing by herself in this sort of lightly reverberant space. And so there's not a lot of noise to cover up errors or to mask any distortions. It's just you and the singer. And so I think they thought that any problems with the encoding algorithm would be really apparent in such a stripped-down texture, and they were right about that. 
And so they run it through the algorithm, and it comes out just sounding like demons, <laughs> just sounding like horrible noise on the other end. And they're sort of distraught. You know, it's been they've been working on this algorithm for two years, and it just sounds like a disaster on this song. So they go back to the drawing board, and this the song ended up ended up becoming the test song. You know, when they got Suzanne Vega's song sounding good, that's when they felt like, okay, now this algorithm is pretty much ready to roll. They call that the mother of the MP3. And I finish up my coffee, and it's time to catch the train. Back in North London. Colleen Cosmo Murphy's hi-fi Sunday worship of classic albums has come to an end, and the guests are free to talk again. How did that make you feel? <laughs> exactly. So the question, yeah. right? We're sitting in the sweet spot, I guess, in yeah, the middle. Yeah, you were sitting more in the sweet spot. I sat on the floor, so you had a better spot. <laughs> oh, it made me feel like they're around me. That's exactly what it should feel like. The thing I love the most is people's reactions to it, because they come up to me and they say... I had no idea what to expect, but this is really incredible. And here are some of those reactions. I think sound quality is so important. Literally transformed my like listening experience, my personal listening experience as well. This is just a whole other level, though. This is priceless. So that was kind of the key moment for me when I just had goosebumps fly from the bottom of my feet up through my head, shooting into like the sky. <laughs> you're hearing it as close to how the artist probably wanted you to hear it as possible. So I think that this is uh, very close to the, matching the artistic vision of the artist. So it's as close to real life as uh, you're ever going to get. So it's more than, it's not a two-dimensional sound. And it just sounds real. It doesn't sound like it's a replication of something. It doesn't sound like it's a facsimile of something. It sounds as close to the original event, the original sonic event itself. And that's what you're trying to get to. So how do people react to Ryan's revelatory MP3 ghosts? Usually if I play them just the raw, deleted material, People's reaction is usually like is usually sort of along the lines of um, whoa, <laughs> or something like that, or like or like uh, <laughs> or like or um, because it's sort of noisy uh, and but of course me being a a, a composer and an and an artist I you know I I hear that and I I think well this is great material that you could really work with and work with it he does. You can track down many more of Ryan's MP3 ghosts if you visit his website, ryanmaguiremusic.com. But seriously, here we all are, nearing the end of another episode of Sound Matters, which I'm sorry to remind you, has most likely been heard by you in a disgraceful, awful, nearly sinful MP3 quality, just like all the other podcasts you're hearing these days. Can't we just relax a little? Is MP3 really so bad? Are there no saving graces? I think it has pros and cons, like so many things, really. For one thing, it's a, it's really a, a, 
a triumph of distribution and access. So MP3s have made it incredibly easy for music to be sent all over the globe. And we have unprecedented access now to the entire history of recorded music at our fingertips in a moment. You know, at, at, I can pull up my phone and pull up you know, 10 million different recordings or more uh, in just seconds. And and that's thanks to uh, the MP3 format. It's a trade-off. If nothing else, it's still an amazing piece of incredibly innovative audio engineering. But times are changing. Just like records, CDs and wax cylinders before them, new formats will one day replace the MP3. Won't they? I always think it's about the music first. I mean, of course, it's more important to have access to the music. I say one of my favorite places to listen to music is in the car. And that has is a terrible acoustics, and I don't have a great system in my car. But what a great place to listen to music. So, no, I'm not the music police. And I don't think anyone should be said, you can only listen to music this way. I just think people need to be informed about what is actually out there and what the experience can be like. We have an American term that says, you can't polish a turd. <laughs> Were you thinking that too? <laughs> Maybe Colleen won't have to worry about this for so much longer. Just recently, the Fraunhofer Institute for Integrated Circuits, the actual research body that licenses the MP3 patent to software developers, announced that it's going to discontinue its licensing of the MP3. In short, the MP3 will soon be dead. Or not, depending on how you look at it. Along with your CDs, cassettes, reel-to-reels and 8-track tapes, and vinyl records, of course, MP3s themselves may become collector's items. We're actually entering a time where we're going back on an upward trajectory. So I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic about sound. <laughs> and that's all for this edition of Sound Matters. A huge hi-fi, gold-cabled, valve-driven analog thank you to Colleen Cosmo Murphy. If you're anywhere near London on a Sunday afternoon, you might just be able to get into a Classic Album Sunday session. Check them out at classicalbumsundays.com. Thanks once again to Ryan Maguire. And as I mentioned before, you can check his website, which is ryanmaguiremusic.com. This edition of Sound Matters was written and edited in the best fidelity I could muster by me, and my name is Tim Hinman. Thanks to Andrea Rangecroft, who made the interviews and edited this show. And thanks to Nathan Businski for his executive production. I'd like to thank Christian Conradi from the excellent Berlin podcast collective 4000 Hertz for getting me in touch with Ryan McGuire. Finally, of course, thanks to B&O Play, without whom there would be no sound matters. You can visit the website at boplay.com slash soundmatters. Sound. Sound. Music. Acoustic. Noise. Sound. I have a favorite sound, I think. Sound. Ultrasonic. How they listen. Just a little. Boop. The one place where it sounds the best. You're listening to sound. Sound matters. <laughs>